So as we've been working our way through the, the book of Ephesians, just uh, by, by way of reminder once again, there, uh, you'll, you'll notice the map of Ephesus, and it was in the area known as Asia in those days. Today, we would say modern-day Turkey. And uh, the reason I wanted to highlight that once again is it was a very pagan town. They had no concept of the God of the Bible. They didn't have the Bible. Uh, that wasn't even part of their thinking. And, and Jerusalem uh, was about 500 miles away. Very different country, very different culture. And so if, if you were from Ephesus, it was a very different religion, very different morals, uh, very different lifestyle, very different values. And so Paul arrives in this town of Ephesus, and he begins to talk about a God who was completely unlike anything they had ever even considered. You see, the worship of the pagan gods that they worshiped there in Ephesus was a system of appeasement. You were always trying to appease them so they didn't destroy your crop and your life, and uh, you, know, you, didn't want, you, know, you always were concerned they're gonna send an earthquake or something like that. But in order to get favor from a pagan god, it was quite an ordeal. You had to sacrifice and sacrifice and pay and pay, and hopefully they would feel uh, uh, favorable to you to the place where they would answer your prayer. But typically, they were sort of apathetic to you and your situation. So when you think of the pagan gods, you always want to remember that, that the pagan gods never answered the question of how do you do life? Because that wasn't really part of what they, they did. So if you went to, say, there in Ephesus, one of the pagan gods, Diana, uh, Artemis as we, we would call her, there was no teaching on ethics or family or parenting or interacting with other people who worshiped at the same place. It wasn't even part of their thinking. So Paul shows up and he begins to talk about a God who sees his people, those who follow him, as his children. And as a parent, he's concerned about his children and he wants to see them do well in life. He wants to see them live and, and have lives that are prosperous and, and uh, families that, that work. And so uh, he begins to teach about this God and people are coming to the Lord there in Ephesus, but they have, from decades and centuries, they have these deeply entrenched concepts of God because that's what they, they grew up in. So they love God, the God that Paul talked about, but again, they have all this baggage from all that they had believed in the past. So Paul realizes that their thoughts, their thinking about God has to be changed. So Paul takes the first three chapters and he lays out this relationship with God. And he talks about um, how God feels about us, that this God loves us. And, and uh, unlike the pagan gods, when you blow it, you're not expecting an earthquake. This God just lavishes you with his grace because you're his child. And he's concerned about how you do life and, and uh, that you are able to take care of your family and things like that. So we went through the first three chapters and then we came to the fourth chapter, and the fourth chapter begins this very practical application as to how we live this, how we live this out. So in the first part, it was how we deal with other believers in the context of church. And then he talked about spiritual gifts that were given to us as believers. Pagan gods didn't give gifts to help people, enable them to live out their, their purpose. And then last week, as Paul, as we went through the passage, Paul talks about how differently 
we as believers, how differently we think than the non-believers. And it's a whole different way of, of thinking. And so we emphasized that last week. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to pick up where we were last week and verse 22, and I'm going to, I'm going to read verses 22 through 24, and then we'll begin to unpack it. So verse 22, he says that in reference to your former manner of life, remember when you were pagans, you worshiped at the pagan temple, that you lay aside the old self, we're gonna take that off, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lust of deceit. It never helped you. And that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind, we'll talk about that, and then to put on the new self, which, very different than the old way, in the likeness of God has been created in the righteousness and holiness of the truth. So you have this uh, emphasis on how different believers and unbelievers think. And it came to these deeply rooted patterns of thinking. Verse 23, he says that you be, in my translation, that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind. And I wanted to talk about that today as we intro this, about having our minds renewed, our minds renewed because they had a deeply entrenched uh, thinking about God. So even to believers, he says, you need to have your minds renewed. So to, to explain this, if you grew up in church, you've probably heard that just like there is a trinity, man is a trinity. So we'd say spirit, mind, body. Another way of saying it would be spirit, soul, body. Mind and soul are used uh, the same in the New Testament. So to, to understand the difference and, and how this works, there on your outline, Jesus said, you must be born again. And just uh, real quick, the, the term born again is mentioned four times in the New Testament, two times by Jesus and then two times by Peter. But we have to be born again. Now, write this down. My spirit is born again. That's the part that's born again. We were dead spiritually, we were born again, we became alive spiritually. Uh, when our spirit came alive, we were born again. That's when the Holy Spirit came to dwell within us. And one of the things that we noticed when we were born again, our spirit was born again, that our want-tos changed. See, prior to being born again, we didn't really care about pleasing God, uh, but then all of a sudden, we wanted to please God. We don't always get it right, but, but our want-to has changed. And uh, we, so, so, so that, 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 that's the change. God's spirit has come in. We didn't care what God thought about our lives, and, and now we do. We didn't care, uh, we didn't love him, and, and now we do. So that's, that's, we're born again, that's our spirit. But if you became a believer, say, um, now I, I, I became a believer when I was five years old, so it might be a little bit different, but when, if you were an adult and you became a believer, you probably noticed that even though you were born again and your, your spirit was now alive, your want-tos changed, but if you struggled prior to being born again with things like jealousy or anger or profanity, in our family we say potty mouth, if you struggle with those things or you struggle with addictions, you probably notice by and large that even though you're born again, your spirit has come alive, the Holy Spirit is in you, but, but you, you still sometimes struggle with those, those same things. Now here's why. Your spirit is born again, but write this down, but my mind has to be renewed. My mind has to be renewed. Most of us don't come from a pagan background, 
but we have thought patterns from our past, uh, places we've been, things we've done, uh, things that shape our thinking about God. Some of us, it's our denominational background and things like that, but events that took place in our childhood. And so those things have had a, a great impact on how we think. And so our minds, even as believers, it has to be renewed. So for me, as a boy, um, I had a stepfather. Uh, my mom married my stepfather when I was five, and I don't have a single memory of him not being mad at me as, as a child. And he was very quick and harsh as far as it related to discipline, but there was never any love. And in our family early on, we were never allowed to laugh. If you laughed, it just set him off. And so what that did, now let me also say this. Uh, the Lord restored my relationship with my stepfather when I was in my 20s. And uh, if, if uh, you saw the family that he came from, you'd say, okay, I get it. So, so uh, just know that he restored our relationship. But those early years, those events um, shaped my concept of God. Because typically, we tend, I use the word tend, to relate to God the way that we, we relate to our earthly parents, especially our father. So if you had a very critical father, a very demanding father, unloving, you're going to tend to relate to God in that same way. And we were church folk, we went to church. And so from the time I was five years old to 11 years old, we went to a certain genre of churches. And in that genre of churches, it was very common on a Sunday morning for the pastor to be pounding on the pulpit like this and pointing at the congregation like this and a lot of you people like this. Now, how many of you had the fun of growing up in a church like that? So some of us did, so, so you'll remember it. Well, so. And, and so, you know, you've heard me say, so we always thought that John 3, 16 should have said, for God was so mad at the world that he gave his only begotten son. But those things shaped the concept of God that, that I had. So even though I didn't come from a pagan background, my mind had to be renewed as to who God really is. And of course, that, that's been, uh, you know, took, took some time. Now, this is where I think many of us are. We don't come say, from, say, a pagan background, but we have some baggage from, from the past. So although our spirit is born again, uh, there on your outline, I've taken this from the NIV, it says to be, made, to be made new in the attitude of your minds. Actually, like attitude of your minds, it, it conveys what he's really saying a little bit more clear. The word minds there is noose. Now keep in mind, he's writing this to the Ephesians. They are believers. They love God. But he tells them, you have to have your minds renewed. There needs to be a change. This is a theme throughout the New Testament. So another time, Paul is writing to the church in Rome. So we call that book Romans. And uh, the people in Rome, the Roman church, came from a predominantly pagan background also. Not almost exclusively like the Ephesians, but mostly people from a pagan background. And so notice what Paul says. Paul says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed. And you notice that the word for transformed there is metamorpho, from where we get our English word, you won't get it wrong, metamorphosis. metamorphosis, metamorphosis, good. So we'll come back to that. 
by, and here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Again, that word there for mind is noose. So that you may prove or live out what is the will of God, that, which is good, acceptable, and perfect. So you have this word, um, you have this word transformed, the word metamorphuo, um, and the, the English word would be metamorphosis. So we all think of like a butterfly. You know, it, it starts as a caterpillar, it goes into its cocoon, and then over time it's transformed, it's metamorphosized, and then it comes out something very different. It's a very different experience. So in this word metamorphuo, when it comes to renewing your mind, here's what you need to know, and you wanna write this down. Being renewed is a process. It's a process. It's not something that happens overnight. It's, it's gonna take some time. Now, the reason I say that is to say, don't beat yourself up if it doesn't take place in three weeks or three months or three years, you still have some of those thoughts that are still lingering back there. It's a process. So we are born again, but then we are transformed, metamorphosized, we would say, by the renewing of our mind, we, we go into a completely different experience, different life, and that's by the renewing of our mind. Well, then the question is, how do we do that? How, do, how, do, how does that actually happen? Well, when we get into chapter five, one of the things that we're going to find is Paul's gonna be writing to the church and uh, he's going to say this, and I, I want you to just notice how much of a process is in this, this verse. He says, now, speaking of the church, he says, to make her holy, and it means this is something going on, cleansing, not cleansed, but cleansing her by the washing, not washed, but washing with water, and then you want to underline through the word, through the word, and uh, very, very important. So this verse has process all over it. You, you have to make holy, cleansing, washing, and it's all done through the word. It's through, through God's word. So God's word begins to get into our spirit. We're born again, but it begins to wash those thoughts away. It begins to renew our mind, begins to change our thinking. So very practically, here, here's what I would say. Write this down. To renew my mind, um, I need to read God's word daily. Read God's word daily. I am so grateful for the church that I was part of from the time I was about 12 years old all the way through my teens, my 20s, and uh, even, even into to my 30s. And all of us in that student ministry, that church, are very close to one another. We still keep in touch. But you would be amazed if you came to one of our get-togethers, even today, as to how many of us are either in full-time ministry, um, we are into, uh, we're in church leadership, but we're all serving the Lord. We're all serving the Lord. Now, the reason for that is one of the things that was just drilled into our heads every single week. They'd say, you have to read God's word every day. So every, every week, you gotta be reading God's word every day. So we did. And, and typically in our student ministry, everybody would read the Bible three chapters a day. That, that's what they did. I'm an extremist. So if they're reading it three chapters a day, I'm reading it five chapters a day. So, so I did that. And so from the time I was in ninth grade all the way on through, through college and even, even still, but um, just read the Bible every single day. So 
when, when, when I, and I have in my notes that that's just something that we did and I have, even if I was in sin, I still had to read my Bible. So, um, so I would be out like any other teenager, you know, doing things that I, I should not have been doing, but I knew that I had to read my Bible. And that began to have an effect on, on my life. So I would attribute so many of us in my student ministry being in full-time ministry, serving in churches, leadership, and things like that to the fact that we were just taught, read your Bible, read your Bible every single day. When you are reading your Bible on a daily basis, what you're going to find is it's going to begin to wash or scrub those old thoughts away. And what's going to happen is a metamorpho, metamorphosis is going to take place where you have one existence, you're born again, but now you're going to be transformed as your mind is renewed, as God's word cleanses, cleanses as you go. Doesn't happen overnight, but over time it does. So if you were to do just one thing, if you were to say, you know what, from today on, so I go home to be with Jesus or Jesus comes back and gets me, um, I'm gonna do this. I'm gonna read my Bible every single day. Anything else doesn't get done, whatever, but I'm gonna read my Bible every single day. Here's what you're going to find. Over time, that's going to have a profound effect on your thinking. It's gonna have a profound effect on your belief system and it's going to begin scrubbing out some of the junk that our world puts in. It just, it just happens that, that way. And uh, you'll be surprised at the effect. Now, if you say, I'm gonna read three chapters a day. I'm gonna read 10 minutes a day. Well, if you read 10 minutes, 15 minutes a day, it's about three chapters. And, you know, so, so somewhere along there, you gotta find out what's right for you. I think devotionals are great, but they should never take the place of you reading God's word. God wants to speak to you. And so that's what you wanna do. If you just did that one discipline, it will over time absolutely change your life. Well, another thing that I would say um, when we talk about renewing our minds and you want to write down, I need to speak God's word. I need to speak God's word. Paul tells us in Romans there in your outline that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And what you find is that our thinking and our beliefs go hand in hand. You know, our deeply held thoughts are the things that we really believe. And uh, what we hear and what we hear and hear and hear and hear is what we believe. Many of us believe, you know, if we've been listening to a certain news station, uh, we, we've heard it so many times, we just believe it. We were taught certain things growing up, and so we just, we heard it and heard it and heard it, and we believe it. And so what we, what we hear and hear and hear is what we believe. Faith comes by hearing, but it comes faster when we hear ourselves speaking it, when we hear ourselves speaking it. If you were ever in the military, I was in the army. My boot camp was 13 weeks. If you're in the army, I'm 11, bravo, one papa. For, you know, for those of you who don't know what that means, it doesn't matter, but, but, um, but we would just, we went into the army one way. We went into boot camp and 13 weeks later, we were different and uh, we were looking for a war. We wanted one because we would just shout all day long things about ourselves and those things became deeply entrenched in us. You know, positive affirmations like I breathe energy from the air, I converse with polar bears and I eat nuclear waste for breakfast, things like that. And maybe some other, 
maybe some other affirmations I should probably not say in church. But, but the idea is when, when we went through, it changed our whole belief system. But we spoke it, spoke it, spoke it, spoke it, spoke it. It got inside and we believed it. Never pick a fight with somebody two days after boot camp. Uh, you might be able to beat him, but he believes he's going to be able to beat you. So I just put that out for your own safety. So anyways... Another way of looking at this is in, Paul writes to the, the Hebrew believers and he says this in Hebrews 10, 23. Um, he says, let us hold fast the profession, the profession. It's a compound word in uh, the original language. Homo, it's homologia there. We'll talk about that. The profession of our faith without wavering for he is faithful that promised. Now this word, Homologia is a compound word in the original language. It comes from homo, which just means same. And then logos or logia, which just means word. Same word. So we're to hold fast the same word. The same word as who? Well, we hold fast the same word as God. That is, we say about our situation what God says about our situation. And he says that you hold fast the same words, hold fast because he is faithful, which means you're saying what God says about your situation, but your situation doesn't look like what God says, but I hold fast. And then God says, that's where you begin to operate in faith, and that's where you begin to see him show up. So you, you, you wanna memorize, you wanna meditate on, on God's word. What I, one of the things that I did early on is I so wanted to change my thinking that I, I got promises and I began to just, I put them on three by five cards and um, I, um, I spoke them. By the way, th- this, is, this is what my three by five cards used to look like. And there were, there were four of these wrapped with these hair ties. I discovered last night that my daughters came in when they needed hair ties and they took. <laughs> Parents, have you noticed that that your kids come in and they take anything that's yours, but if you go near their stuff, they're like, boundaries, dad. (laughs) Am I alone in this? (laughs) It's a universal experience. But I would say these things because I wanted them to be on the inside. So Psalm 31, eight, thou hast not given me over to the hand of the enemy, but thou hast set my feet in a large place. How about this one? Do not fear for I am with you. Do not anxiously look about you for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Surely I will help you and surely I will uphold you with my righteous arm, Isaiah 41, 10. You know, when you begin to say those things on a continuous basis, what you find is even though you start out with a concept of God that he's always mad at you and you begin to say that, you come to realize, no, he's not mad at you. He's, he's actually for you. Now, just if, if you want, we have this book called God's Promises for Every Need. They're all around the church. You can pick one up in, in the lobby. If you want to start speaking God's promises, where do I start? This is, this is a good start. So just put that out there, there for, for you. Well, what I've learned in life is that all of our minds are, are being renewed to something. The question is, what are they being renewed to? So I've, I've learned for me, I mean, being here is part of renewing your mind and that's good, but, but if this is all you get on a weekly basis, you're gonna find it's not gonna go as, as fast as you'd like. So there, there has to be some intentionality to this. And what I've learned in my life that 
When I stop renewing, remember he said cleansing her, you know, it's an ongoing process. When I stop renewing my mind, because like you, I'm immersed in this world, and when I stop renewing, then the old stuff is going to come in because the world is constantly shoving it to us. So it's something I'm gonna have to do until I go home to be with Jesus or until he comes back for me. It's just something that we have to do. We have to be renewed continuously. Well, so we renew our minds. Then verse 22, he says that in reference to your former manner of life, when you were pagans, you lay aside the old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lust of deceit. Verse 24, and now put on the new self, which in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. So we're gonna take some things off and then we're gonna put some things on. And Paul's going to give some very practical thoughts on this is just what it means to be a believer. Here's what we put on. What will strike you as interesting in this is that how the early church from a pagan background had to be taught the very basics of Christian ethics because they didn't talk about this in the pagan temple. It wasn't even part of their thinking. And one of the things we'll find is even some of us who come from a church background, we, we need to hear this also. Paul's gonna lay out some things that will affect our relationship with God and they also affect our relationship with, with one another. And if you've been part of our study from the beginning, you'll re remember back in the first couple of chapters, Paul would use these very long sentences. They'd go half a page. Uh, here, what we're going to find is Paul's sentences are just gonna be very short, very short, very, very, very direct. He's also gonna say, when we lay these things aside and we put these things on, um, this is not when we have our minds renewed. These are the things that we do as we renew our minds. So whether we feel like it or not, this is what we're to do. Also, one other thing, let me just say very quickly, is that Paul just gives statements. He doesn't give sermons here. So that we're, I'm gonna follow Paul's lead. I'll make a few comments on each statement and uh, then allow you to think these things through. So we're gonna pick it up in verse 25. As we get into verse 25, you wanna write down, as believers, we speak the truth in love. Now that actually comes from earlier in the chapter, verse 15, I put it on your outline. Speaking the truth in love. Again, you didn't talk about this at the pagan temple. Now on your outline, I've put the verse, verse 25. And it says, therefore, each of you must put off falsehood. And I love that the word falsehood there is pseudos, or we'd say pseudo, and speak truthfully to his neighbor, for we are all members of one body. Falsehood or pseudo, something is pseudo, it's false. That's where our, that word comes from is every form of dishonesty. So it can be a small lie, it can be a big lie, but that's not for, for believers. And he says, now the reason that we do that, the very last line of that verse, and here's why, for we're all members of one body. We're all members of one body. They never talked about that at the pagan temple. They weren't members of, of one body. So as, as members of one body, imagine this, since we're members of one body, if the mouth speaks to the hand and says, that stove isn't hot, it's not really hot, and the hand believes the mouth and goes and puts itself on the stove, but the stove is hot and it burns the hand, does that just hurt the hand or does the whole body hurt? The whole body will hurt. It affects the entire body. 
So because we're members of one body, we're not dishonest with one another. When a member of the body tells a lie to somebody outside the church, it affects the whole body because it tarnishes that person's belief of what it means to be a Christian. And uh, how many of you have ever heard somebody say, oh, you call yourself, uh, you know, and, and uh, they're very, very quick because of their experience in the past. I can tell you that when somebody shows up at my house and they have a work truck and there's a fish on the back, I don't get excited like this is going to be super honest, great work and all that because like you at times, I've been burned by somebody who professed to be a Christian only to find that maybe not so much. So we don't lie to those on the outside because it tarnishes the reputation of the whole body. Does that make sense? So then verse 26, he says, be angry and yet do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and do not give the devil an opportunity. So here he says, be angry without sinning. Write that down. Keep in mind, now you probably noticed in your Bibles there in verse um, 26, the font changed on verse 26. Did that happen in your Bible? For, now the reason for that is that comes from the Old Testament. Interesting, these are Ephesians. They have no idea what the Old Testament says. They, they, they didn't, you know, it just wasn't even part of their thinking. Nobody had ever read the Old Testament. But that, be angry without sinning, comes from Psalm chapter four. There in your outline, it says, in your anger, do not sin. So Paul quotes from the Old Testament to give them a New Testament ethic. You're gonna find that there's righteous anger and there's unrighteous anger. Righteous anger is always directed to the right object. So Jesus cleanses the temple, he's angry. That needed to be done. That was not wrong that he was angry for that. There are some things that should make you and I as believers angry. So like when we see the destruction of morality in our, in our country, or we see some of the things that are uh, taught to our children in the public school, now, if you're here today and you're a public school teacher, uh, you are our hero because you could be the only light shining in a very dark place. So we're very grateful to you. But we realize that the public school wants to teach some things to our kid and those things should make us angry. When we see corruption in our government, we should be bugged about that, not just placid about that. Now, that's righteous anger. But then there's unrighteous anger. Now, unrighteous anger would be things like temper tantrums, a lingering anger, uh, holding a grudge against somebody. So Paul says that you need to deal with it and you need to deal with it very quickly. And he sets a time li limit and he says, don't let the sun go down on your anger. Yes, you're angry, but we're not gonna carry that over into the next day. The reason for that is if I don't deal with my anger quickly, it has a way of turning into bitterness. And we'll talk about that in a moment, but notice in verse 27, he says, and do not give the devil an opportunity. There on your outline, I've given a couple of different ways that this is translated. So if you have the King James version, it will say don't give place to the devil. The New Living says, don't give a foothold to the devil. That is just enough to get his foot in to hang on. That's all he wants. 
In my translation, it says opportunity to the devil. If uh, you were to read the original word, uh, the word is tapos, and it means occupancy. You're giving him a place for him to move in is the idea. So write this down. Lingering anger gives a place to the devil. When I hold on to it, it gives a place to the devil. In church, it destroys relationships. You see people who used to do life together. They were friends. They used to go on vacation with one another, but something happened. They don't let it go. Bitterness sets in. They don't communicate with one another. And many times they think that they have a righteous anger, but what they really have is they're just giving the devil a foothold. They're giving him an opportunity. We have to deal with it very, very quickly. So don't give the devil an opportunity to get in and destroy community, especially among believers. Now, verse 28. Verse 28, he says, he who steals, this is my favorite one, by the way. He who steals must steal no longer, but rather he must labor, performing with his own hands what is good. Here's why. So that he will have something to share with one who has need. Some people see in this verse uh, the most striking example of conversion in the New Testament, where we go from thief to philanthropist. You know, so, so we're actually giving. Just for fun, I put the first line of that verse there on your outline. It says, the one who steals, and the word there is klepto, must no longer steal or klepto. If you've ever heard of the kleptomaniac, it comes from this word. That's what it means, to, to steal. This word klepto encompasses the whole range of stealing. Um, shoplifting, embezzlement, fraud, failing to pay a fair wage. I mean, it's just, it's, it just encompasses everything. Paul says, guys, that's not who we are as believers. They might have did that at the pagan temple, but we don't do that as believers. What's also interesting in this um, is that unlike the pagan temple, you and I, and Paul taught about a God who loved to bless his people. And uh, there on your outline, from the old, you get this Old Testament and New Testament. And here's what it says. Let them say continually. Now I wanna ask you a question. What we're gonna read, is this something that you say continually? Let them say continually. The Lord be magnified who delights in the, what's that word? Prosperity of his servant. Who delights in the prosperity of his servant. God, God wants to partner with us and see us do well. How many of you here today have children and you hope that they grow up and they can't pay their rent, they can't pay their bills, they get evicted, their cars get repossessed, um, and it's just a constant struggle. How many of you want that for your children? None of us. And you wanna know why you don't want that for your children? It's because you are created in the image of God. The only reason that you care that your children do well is because you're created in his image. Alligators eat their babies. They are not created in the image of God. They do not care. But you do, you do. So God cares. He cares about every aspect and this is just one of them. Now Jesus would say it like this. Jesus says there in your outline, it is more blessed to give than to receive. 
what he's saying in that is that Jesus wants to see his people not always in the place where they have to receive, but in the place where they're blessed to the place that they're able to give. That's his desire. He says it's better to be in that position than constantly having to receive. Many would hold that work is done so that we can provide for ourselves, and that's, that's good. But as a Christian, God takes it to a higher level. When you read that verse, it's not just to provide for us, it's to provide for those who have need around us. So God wants us to be blessed to the place where we can be not only take care of ourselves, but we can be a blessing to other people. So for the Christian, you want to write this down. Our purpose for getting is giving. Our purpose for getting is giving. Other verses will add that giving is part of the process that God uses to step in and to bring blessing into our lives. It's when we give that God becomes the partner with us. You didn't really hear about that at the pagan temple, but the God of the Bible is very, very different. In the New Testament, Paul talked to a church, Corinth, and they had given there at their local church, they had taken up an offering, and they heard about a church that had a need, so they took up an offering in this church, and they're sending it to another church. And I want you to notice what Paul says to those that partnered with God in this way. He says, you will be made, what's that word? Rich. And how? He says, in what? Every way. Why? So that you can be what? Generous. How often? On every occasion. And then he says, and through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. See, God wants to partner with you financially, but not just for you, so that you can be a blessing to others also. That's the God that we serve. So in in their pagan lives, they never saw the God that they worship as somebody who wanted to get involved in their financial life so that they would be blessed and be a blessing to other people. It wasn't even part of their thinking. But Christianity is very different. God wants to see us be blessed so that we can be a blessing, not just for our own families, but for for others also. That bothers some people. That bothers some people because uh, you have a deeply entrenched view that somehow being in poverty somehow makes you spiritual. You just can't find that in your Bible. And I would tell you that this church and every church in the world, especially here in America, um, is not here, uh, it's not supported by people who can't pay their bills. Uh, The electric bill, the building, all of it, every church, the missions that we're able to send out, it's all because people believe that, they partner with God, God blesses, and they're also able to, to, to do more. So think that through. Well, verse 29, it says there in your outline, Do not let any unwholesome, the word there's going to be sapros, talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building oikodome, uh, others up according to their needs, as it may benefit those who listen. So when it says there, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, um, the word there from unwholesome, just for fun, is the word sapros. And it means rotten, putrefied, corrupted, and no longer fit for use. 
So this would be the word that you would use if you were to describe you came across some rotten fruit or some rotten fish and it just stunk. That's, that's what this word means. He says, don't have those words come out of your mouth. So that would include things like um, vulgar phrases, uh, crude jokes, and things like that. But Paul contrasts here the negative with the positive. Instead of that, he says, but only what is helpful for building oikodome others up according to their needs that it may benefit those who listen. They didn't really talk about that at the pagan temple, but we're to build people up. That word there, oikodome, on your outline, it means the act of building or building up. So here's what he's saying. Speak words that build. Speak words that build. Another time, Paul would say it like this. Encourage one another and build oikodomio, one another up, just as you are doing. So as, as believers, we have to realize that everybody's having a hard time. Everybody's facing something in their life. And so as believers, we're here to build one another up. How do you do that? Say, I believe in you. You're gonna make it. You're smart. I, told, I tell my kids when, when they're little and growing up, God's gonna do big things in your life. God's gonna do big things in your life. Because I want them growing up thinking God's gonna do big things in their, in their life. Um, Tell your daughters that they're beautiful. You are so beautiful. I tell my daughters, I go, I made you. I should get like a PhD in art because you're you're a masterpiece, but I made you. Now, dads, here's why. Because if you don't tell them that they're beautiful, guess what? Somebody else will. Somebody else will, and they will follow that person. You need to be saying that. So we need to build people up. Now, I'm going to give you a freebie here. Some of us have people that don't like us, okay? And, and maybe there's been a severing in the relationship. You've done everything that you can do to make it right to win the friendship, but it's not, it's not happening. Maybe they're here in church, and, uh, but you, know, you walk outside and they give you the stink eye, you know, kind of like that. And you go, I've tried everything. I'm gonna give you a phrase. This works 90% of the time. Typically it turns an enemy into a friend like that, okay? So you ready? You just walk outside, you see them, they're giving you the stink eye, and you look at them and you say, hey, are you you losing weight? (laughs) Instant friendship right there, right there. Now, you're not being untruthful, you're not making a statement, you're just saying, are you losing weight? That's the question, so just put that out there. Well, they didn't talk about building people up with their words at the pagan temple. But Paul says, this is what it means to be a believer. Verse 30, he says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. You have been sealed by the Holy Spirit of God. That's permanent. God didn't let you seal you because if you sealed you, you would mess it up. So God says, I'm going to seal you so you don't mess it up. So you can't unseal yourself, but you can grieve the Holy Spirit. To grieve means that you do things that you can, you break his heart. It it makes him sad. And so some people see verse 30 here when he says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption as the entirety of Christian ethics in a nutshell. Just decide, I'm not gonna do anything that makes the Holy Spirit sad. I'm not gonna do anything that, that grieves him. Now, some things grieve the Holy Spirit, and that's found in verse 31. Verse 31, he says, let all 
bitterness. Now, I'll come back to bitterness, but just notice that bitterness is the first thing. Bitterness and wrath is you want to retaliate. And anger, you don't let it go. And clamor. Some of your Bibles will say brawling. Um, it just means yelling. It's, it's verbally yelling at somebody is what it means. And slander, speaking evil of them. Be put away from you along with all malice. I didn't put it on your outline. The word there for malice is the word blasphemo. Blasphemo to where we get the word blasphemy. Where you're just speaking horrible things uh, about them. But I did want to notice very quickly that the starting point, verse 31, is let all bitterness, bitterness uh, be put away. Notice what Paul says here on your outline. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God. Some of your Bibles would say obtain to the grace of God. That no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled. It's not that you don't receive God's grace, it's that you don't obtain to God's grace or obtain to that level. The idea is that we're supposed to be operating in the same grace that God has for for us. So we, we, we miss out on that when we hold that bitterness. But then when we hold on to bitterness, it says it becomes a root, it goes deep. If you've ever met somebody who's bitter, it just comes out all the time. And they try to infect as many people as possible. So he says, don't do that. But Paul says, instead, treat people the way that God treated you. Verse 32, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. That's how we're to be as believers. They didn't talk about that at the pagan temple. Well, as, as we went through that, um, very quickly, if you found some places where you say, I'm not there yet. Just know that writing to Christians, John said, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just, will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Just tell the Lord, renounce it, let him cleanse you, do something if you need to to make it right, and then go forward. With that, we're gonna go ahead and close in prayer. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the things that you've shared with us Uh, hopefully uh, spoke to each and every one of us at some point. And uh, Lord, we want to be the people of God that you've called us to be. We want to represent you well in all things. And so Lord, as you've revealed some things, we renounce some things, we seek your forgiveness, we confess. I've been holding on to that. I'm releasing it right now and I'm going forward without it. I receive just that blank slate of, of being okay together relationally. Lord, I pray that you keep each and every one of us until we meet again. It's in Jesus' name that we pray and all God's people said, amen. God bless you guys. We'll see you next time.